Let's rise for the reading of God's word, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and then verses 14 through 19. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. For although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Heavenly Father, fill us with with the surpassing grace of Christ. Fill us to overflowing that we would leave this place living for you, sharing with the world the glorious, surpassing riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let this not just be words to us, but let it be our experience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now I ask you this morning, what have you received in Christ? To what measure have you been filled in Christ? And how can you teach others to observe all that Christ has commanded? There's something in this outline. These are three points that are kind of perpetually before you in this message. But something in that last point that seems to me anticlimactic, kind of a letdown. We talk about being filled. Talk about what measure have we been filled with Christ to overflowing and then teaching others to observe all that Christ has commanded. Sounds like a list of rules, doesn't it? Sounds like a a rigorous life of of obedience that just doesn't go over well. It's It's a letdown in that. To call people to Jesus is so much more than just to a way of life. It is to find satisfaction for their souls that is transforming. To observe all that Christ has commanded. He leads us into all the word of God. He leads us uh, to the cross. His first call to his disciples was not do this, do that. It was follow me. He spent three years with his disciples showing them who he was. What he could do. And he led them to the cross where he paid for their sins at their their point in many ways of greatest need for they were afraid and they were hiding. Peter was denying Christ. And he looked at Jesus and wept bitterly because he knew his failure. But Jesus went to the cross to pay for his sins and for our sins. See, to observe all that Christ has commanded is more than just a, a morality list. It is to find the fullness of life in Christ. Now, ask you, is that what you have found? We often think of the Christian life kind of like this dirty pitcher, that it's, it's a, a discipline. 
It, we, we need to drink of it, but there are things that are not entirely satisfying. We're half with Christ, half with the world, because we want to be happy. But life in Christ is better than that. My father grew up on a farm. He said after a rainstorm, there could be a, a natural little big mud puddle, big pond with standing water. And the cows would go out and drink in it, but they would quickly muddy up the water. And when the water would get muddy, they would stop drinking from it because it wasn't satisfying. Does that describe your Christian life? If it does, it's probably because you're looking to earthly things, even earthly things in faith. You're asking questions like, is this Bible study engaging enough to me? Is the music good enough for me? Are there Christians in the church that that bother me? You're you're focusing on those kinds of things. And we are not perfect in this world. We will not be perfected until we get to heaven. And when we focus on those things, it's like standing in muddy water. And we're forgetting Jesus who gives us streams of living water flowing into our lives and each other's lives. My father said that there there was a pond on the farm that was fed by a stream. And when the cows would go out into that pond, they would muddy up the water. Yes, but the fresh water coming in from that stream that was probably from a spring up, up, up on the hill, they'd be sending clear, fresh, good water into it, it would beat back the muddy water. And there would be this line at the edge of the muddy water. And he'd notice that the cows would go out and they would drink of the clear water, the streams of living water, good water. And they would be refreshed by that. And the mud that they stirred up would not get in the way because they were drinking of the good water. Do we come to drink of the living water, the Lord Jesus Christ himself? We, we stir up mud. We, we do. And we, we, we get in each other's way. And we, we mess up our own lives and our families. It's closest in our families, the people that know us best. Have you ever had an argument on the way to church? Boy, it was a blessing when we started a second service and Mary and I came in two cars to church and and didn't have to argue with our kids at the same time. I could come and just be holy. I could be focused. We muddy things up, but we drink of Christ. What have you received in Christ? In our passage, the Apostle Paul talks about what he has received. In verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. What was God's grace given to Paul? It was the same grace given to the apostles who who spent three years with Jesus. The apostle Paul missed out on that, but Jesus appeared directly to him on the Damascus road. Jesus directly revealed to him in his training for ministry as the Apostle Paul was 14 to 17 years in preparation for his ministry to the Gentiles. He received the gospel straight from the Lord in a a supernatural way. Now we haven't, we're not apostles. We haven't received the word of God in that way. We've received the word of God through the apostles and the prophets and we have it in the Bible uh, before us. But I ask you again, What was the grace given to Paul? Earlier in chapter 3, he talks about the mystery. In fact, in in verse 9, the next verse after our passage, he says, And to make plain to everyone 
the administration of this mystery. He's referred to that uh, earlier in verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is. He's going to explain to us what the grace given to him was. The mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This is the third time he's mentioned mystery. Mystery. That makes you curious, doesn't it? What's the mystery? Which was not made known to men in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. He just keeps us on the cliff, uh, cliffhanger. What's this mystery? What was not known before? This mystery is, he's going to tell us, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Now, you may not recognize it until it's pointed out, but this is such a reflection of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is news. What Jesus did for his disciples on the cross, that he proved by his resurrection, that he says, go out and share. He doesn't just say, go out and share with Israel. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the banner that's the the backdrop of every missions conference, isn't it? It should be the banner that's the backdrop of our lives. The Gentiles in the Greek, the Greek word is ethnos, the peoples, all ethnic groups. You have the Jews and everybody else. So for Paul to share the gospel with the Gentiles, it's not just the Greeks and the Romans Gentiles. It's all the other people's groups of the world. Go and make disciples of all nations. It has two parts. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing, that's the outward mark of belonging to the people of God. Paul makes much of this mystery that in the Old Testament, uh, the nation of Israel were called the people of God. Oh yes, Rahab, uh, the uh, Canaanite woman from Jericho, by her faith in God was included. Ruth the Moabite woman was included. It was never primarily racial, but it was presented to the world as a nation. Now the gospel of Christ is to be proclaimed to all nations. And the Apostle Paul is glorying in that. And he keeps using superlatives. He says, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Do you have that sense of superlative in your life? To what measure have you been filled? When I ask you, have you received Christ? What have you received in Christ? You say, well, I've, I've received you know, salvation. I've received the forgiveness of sins. I know, I know I'm going to heaven. I've, I've received Uh, a a church family. I've I've received uh, a place of belonging. I've received purpose in life. But do you fill it with superlatives? Is it unsearchable? Is it surpassing? Is it the kind of, uh, uh, of provision that slakes your spiritual thirst 
day after day after day after day are you a cup filled to overflowing to what measure have you been filled in Christ we often think that the highest point of a Christian life is the day we become a Christian and I tell you what it is a, a high point. What we receive in Christ is new birth. But what does birth lead to? Birth leads to this baby that grows up and it leads to a new life in Christ. The new birth is baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're included. We're born into the family of God spiritually. The new life is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Living in Christ. Growing up in Christ. If that baby never grows up, what was a, a joy and a glory becomes a, a distress and a concern, doesn't it? If the baby doesn't grow up. We're, we're to grow up in our faith. You see on the front of our bulletins that we would know Christ per, personally. That we would mature spiritually. You have this sense of fullness in Christ. When we fail to water our plants, part of what I did in the yard work was notice the plants that were drying up. We haven't had a lot of rain recently. When it's come, it hasn't hit everything. It's been real brief. There are things that are just falling over. You go water them, they spring back up again. How dry are you? To what measure have you been fulfilled? The Apostle Paul prays for us in this. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, see the superlatives there, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Do you know that? Can you grasp that? You see, the, the grasping is not just the thoroughness of theology. Theology is the, the understanding of the Bible that leads us to Christ himself. Do you grasp his love for you. And not just that he loves you. How wide and high and broad and deep his love is for you. Is it that sense of overflowing? You see, that's what we have to share. In the context of this missions month, we have talked about you cannot go out into the world until you come to Christ. You don't have anything to share. You cannot go in your own strength. Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. Until they would receive power, the Holy Spirit has come upon us now. But we can still go out in our own strength. When I first came to Sycamore, the first people uh, that I had the opportunity to share the gospel with in any depth uh, were a couple that um, I'd heard were going to leave the church. And I thought, this is my only chance to share the gospel with them. There's something about church planting that, that leads to the desperation that you want to reach people. It was good for me. I wonder if I would have done it today. But I, I went over and I thought, this is my only chance. But I had this sense of, oh, they're going to leave. I didn't, 
I had no sense of power. I wasn't going to go over and persuade them. I wasn't going to back them into a corner. And I asked them, and said, I've heard that you're going to leave the church. And they went on for 45 minutes about things that they were uncomfortable with in the church. When they got to the end of that, I said, well, can I ask you one thing? I said, if you were to die tonight, would you be sure you'd go to heaven? And it got so quiet in the room. And that was the first indication that I knew God was at work. And Sharon, the wife, said, well, I thought I was until that Sunday school class. We had had a Sunday school class, uh, a video of R.C. Sproul, and he, for two Sundays, had undermined false assurances of salvation. And she was trusting in her good efforts uh, to be the right kind of person. God would, would grade on the curve and get to heaven, and R.C. just blew that out of the water. But she was troubled by that because... God was at work there. It wasn't a logical argument. It wasn't a philosophical debate. It wasn't even me pointing the scriptures to back them into a corner and say, this is what's true. It was God at work. We cannot go out in our own strength because we can't accomplish what God calls us. We just, we extend the outward call of the gospel. And it's God who does the heart work. And we go to share what we have received. That's where it becomes very important. To what measure have you been filled in Christ? If you go out and share with your neighbor in the inquirers class, I'll you know, put up a, a list where we talk about following Christ. The third membership question. Do you resolve and promise, humbly relying upon the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, that you will try to live as a follower of Christ should? I'll put eight points up on the board. Now, that's what's important in following Christ. Often the first thing that comes up is Scripture. That's number three. Scripture's number three. So, well, wait a minute. What do you begin with before Scripture? It's because we need to bring an attitude towards Scripture that shows the work of God in our lives that we would first put Christ first. And that's not put him first at the beginning of your day and then you can go on about your business. It's not a schedule thing. It's putting Christ first, that he is Lord of every area of your life. That's the first thing. That's the evidence of the converted attitude of the, of the real Christian, that you've received him as Lord and Savior. As Lord, you, he is Lord of every area of your life. Second point is relying on, upon the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. As it says in the question itself, we don't go out in our own strength. Then we bring that to Scripture, to study the Word of God, to know Him, to know His will. We have a heart, we have a hunger and thirst already for His righteousness, for His kingdom. So I ask you, when I ask you, to what measure have you been filled in Christ? The problem may be what you hunger and thirst for. Are you more like the third soil in the parable of the sower, where there's not much fruit because the thorns and thistles have crowded it out. Jesus interprets it, the parable for his disciples and said, these are people who are more worried about the cares of this world and they don't produce much fruit. Does that describe you and me? Or do we go out to the world with this superlative, this sense of, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We'll get to that whole psalm in just a moment.
What do you have to share? What's the evidence in your life? Do you drink beyond the mud in the streams of living water of Jesus Christ? Or do you say to your neighbors, come join me in this muddy water? See, then in, beyond the scripture in that third point, you know, the scriptures tell us that Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love God. With all our hearts, all strength, and mind. He added another. He said, second is like it, to love your neighbors yourself. The next point is that you give. Love that is just said, it's just words, doesn't mean anything. But we give of our time, our talents, our, even our tithe. Those are expressions of our love for God and for others. And then we come to church loaded for bear, except not for bears. We're loaded for God and his word. We come with the attitude of, of seeking Christ and him first, of relying on the Holy Spirit, of wanting uh, to know his will and his word, of, of loving God and loving one another, and giving. And we, and we find opportunities to give as we gather as Christians to be equipped to go out and live for Christ in the world. Then, at, at church, we learn all sorts of other good works. So that's the next point. And you come to church and we learn all of the, the whole counsel of God, things that are pleasing to him. We begin to flesh out our faith. Then we share with our neighbors, witnessing. Much of American Christianity is, I go to church, I try to be good. And your neighbor says, what does it mean to be a Christian? You say, well, I go to church, I try to be good. That's not very appealing. That's not being very filled. There's not much to share. And then you have to warn them, too. And when you go to church, take heed, they're going to have an offering. They're going to ask for money. Try that out for witnessing. Not much power in that. But when you say, when they say, what does it mean to be a Christian? You share Christ with them. To come to church to find a fellowship with others who have found Christ and he meets our deepest needs. It's, it's overflowing, whatever the circumstance. To what measure have you been filled with Christ? You see, when it comes to teaching others to observe all that Christ has commanded, if you think of just a list of rules, you've missed the point. It really means teaching people to know Christ as you have come to know him, to learn of him, to have fellowship with him, to be forgiven in him, to have purpose in life in him, to have power to overcome things that you could overcome in yourself. Do you share that? That's teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded, but you can't teach them until you've been taught that yourself, to look to Christ for all of these things. Now, Mary and I started reading, I've referred to this before, it's, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones' uh, collection of sermons on John 4, 56 sermons on John chapter 4, just the one chapter. But he goes to other parts of the Bible too, and he goes to our passage today. And I'm going to read more than just a quotation from Lloyd-Jones' sermon because he calls us in this passage not only to celebrate when someone becomes a Christian and then just stays a baby Christian. He calls on us to grow up in our faith and to understand the unsearchable riches of Christ. And he refers to our passage. So I'm going to read more of it instead of just kind of reiterate it for you myself because by the testimony of two pastors, you will hear this. Lloyd Jones writes, this week I had the privilege and pleasure of talking to two ministers from another part of the world. One of them said something that I thought was most interesting because it is equally true of this country and of our country. He was in England. 
He was talking about evangelical people, and he said, I have a problem in my church. Ever since I've been more expository in my preaching, concentrating more on teaching them the truth, some of the people are beginning to complain that I'm no longer preaching the gospel. No longer preaching the gospel because he was expounding the scriptures, unfolding these great truths. What is the matter with these people? Well, they have reduced the gospel to just one act. And that alone must be preached. So unless there is something happening, as they put it, unless somebody is making a decision in every single service, the gospel has not been presented. Is it not astonishing that Christians can speak like that with the New Testament and the teaching of the epistles open before them? They do not know what the gospel is. That is a terrible thing to say, but it is true. At the most, they just know the first beginnings of the gospel, but no more. And they think that is all. They do not want to be taught. They're intolerant and and they become critical, as my good friend was telling me. What do I mean? Well, take that great third chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians. My dear friends, this is the gospel. As Paul puts it, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles. Preach what? Just Come to Jesus and be saved? Of course, that is the first thing. But Paul was preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of this mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. The great mystery about the church. The principalities and powers in the heavenly places are going to understand this, being instructed through the church, through us. And so Paul says, for this reason I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he praying? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, wherever they are, everywhere, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that is the realm into which you and I have come. But so many people are not interested They're interested in activities. It is all right to be active and interested in evangelism. It has its place. But to give the impression that this is the first priority, the biggest thing, the central thing, the thing that is needed most of all is to twist the scriptures completely. That is only the beginning. And the church that remains at the beginning is infantile. My dear friends, how much of your time do you spend in thinking about subjects such as this? Are you studying the scriptures to find these riches, these depths and heights? Are you giving yourself to this? Do you really mean these words when you sing them? And this is brilliant because he uses the great altar call hymn and goes to a later verse. He says, just as I am of that free love, the breadth, length, depth and height to prove here for a season, then above, O Lamb of God, I come I come. I ask you, do you come to Christ continually, daily, not just in devotions, but just in the way you deal with everything in life? As Sandy said last 
last week at one of our uh, conferences, he says, does it come down to the third or fourth tracing as the root reasons you do something? He said, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus and what he means to me. Do you drink of the muddy water or the streams of living water? That's Jesus himself. Or do you just look at the muddy water and get disillusioned and like the cows in muddy water just walk away when there's no living water uh, to, to drink from? To what measure have you been filled? What do you have to share to teach people to know Christ the way you know him? The 23rd Psalm is not just for funerals. We often uh, read it, recite it at funerals because it, it is perfect for that too. But it's for every day of life. When you say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. As a child, I used to wonder, why do they say the Lord is my shepherd that I don't want? It's not what it means. It's the Lord is my shepherd. Somebody, somebody else told me after the early service came up and said that they had a friend that thought surely goodness was a person. Surely goodness, and, and surely goodness follows us every day of our lives. It's kind of scary. It's hysterical what kids can think. But it's the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be left in want. My thirst is satisfied to overflowing. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I, I memorized this as a child in the old King James, but it still reminds me of the generations that went before us that looked to Christ in this way. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Now, that's not the health and wealth gospel. He just makes everything easy for us, as later in the psalm makes clear. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His leading us is not just to give us what we want. It's to lead us in the paths of righteousness. It's transforming. It's changing. It's Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 applied to us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's how we know the previous verses were not health and wealth gospel. It doesn't mean a guaranteed uh, exemption from the hard times in life. It's saying even when we walk through the hardest times in life, the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's not just the natural hard times in life. We live in a world that is full of conflict, full of hate. We have personal uh, issues with people that may have, have gotten on our case that, that hate us. But there's living water beyond the mud that we can drink from. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. You, you want significance? Think of God the Father through Christ the Son by the power of the Spirit anointing your head with oil. That's a kingly designation. That's what he gives you as his child. My cup overfloweth. Do you live with just a half full cup? You're not drinking from the clear water of Christ himself. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, if we're just half-hearted, half-full, we don't have much to share with others when we try to share Christ. Missions conferences, missions weeks will go flat because we don't want to go out and say, hey, come know Christ the way I know him because he's not very satisfying. You're drinking muddy water. You're probably giving up on that. But if you can say, this is my Lord Jesus Christ and my cup overflows. I can deal with health and sickness. I can deal with with, uh, prosperity without worshiping it. I can deal with depravity knowing that this is transient and I have the riches of Christ. Do, Do you know Christ in that way? Then when you share Christ, others will begin to think by God's grace, by his work in their lives, they'll have something to respond to and say, I want the Savior you have and to know that fullness of life that I see in you because of him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do this in us, that we would drink of you, that we would uh, hunger and thirst, that we would search your word from beginning to end to know you more and better because it is, it is fathom, fathomless. It, we cannot ever completely understand. We're always drinking of you, daily drinking of you, and our souls are satisfied in you to overflowing And we have that to share with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.